I know, right? I mean, BV again, we just talked about BV and its potential link, its potential association with infertility. But like they say in the late night infomercials, but wait, there's more because the information keeps growing about BV. Look, it's actually not a new topic or a new controversy. It's been around for a while. Should we be screening for bacterial vaginosis before hysterectomy or even before DNC? Some do and some don't. Or some just give an additional antibiotic like Flagyl perioperatively in addition to the standard antibiotic choice. But is there data for that? Well, the reason we're talking about this is because in March of 2020, a expert review was published in the Gray Journal that said, well, it's time to do that. We should be screening for BV on every patient that's going to get a DNC or going to get a hist and even through in a C-section just to stir the waters. But a new letter to the editor has been published. It has good rebuttals and good data, again, soon to be coming out in the Gray Journal, saying, wait a minute, let's not move too fast on that. And here's why. So in this session, we're going to cover that continued controversy of whether you should screen for BV before gynecological surgery. And I think this is important, especially if you're getting ready to take your oral boards. You've got to have some hysterectomies on your case list if you're doing gynecology. And they're going to ask that question, I'm sure. What is your pre-op antibiotic? And do you screen for BV? So I hope this podcast can help. Ready? Let's get to it. We want to keep doing this for free. This is our passion. I believe that this is my goal, what I was put on this earth to do. Weird, huh? It's medical education and training those doctors, those nurses, those MPs that are going not just behind us, but alongside us to take care of patients. So if you think this podcast is to value, do us a favor. We're trying to grow our listenership. So just share us on your social media. Get the word out. Tell others about this podcast because we want to continue what we do and we want to continue doing it for free. In March of 2020, in the American Journal of OBGYN's Expert Review, Soper released a publication titled Bacterial Vaginosis and Surgical Site Infection. In this commentary and medical review, David Soper makes the case and reminds us that most women with bacterial vaginosis are unaware of the infection because there is a large asymptomatic carrier rate making it difficult to diagnose in the absence of a microscopic exam of vaginal discharge or using one of the other point-of-care tests like the Affirm test. There is data that untreated bacterial vaginosis elevates the risk of post-op surgical infections in women that undergo both obstetric and gynecological procedures. Treatment with antimicrobial agents that target bacterial vaginosis has been shown in the literature to reduce the rate of post-op infections following both hysterectomy and surgical abortion. In this publication, Soper concluded after that review that, quote, given the prevalence of bacterial vaginosis and the risks associated with operating on a woman with untreated BV, Women undergoing hysterectomy, surgical abortion, and potentially even cesarean delivery should be screened for BV, and those who screen positive should be treated with the appropriate antimicrobial agent, end quote. But, of course, when you put something like that in print, you know not everyone is going to agree. So that's the question. Should we be performing universal BV screening pre-hist or pre-DNC? Or what about C-section? We don't do that right now. 
Or should it just be that we treat everyone with a perioperative dose of flagell? Again, it's a pretty heated subject, so let's take a look at the data, starting with what ACOG says according to their last practice bulletin, which was Practice Bulletin 195, back in 2018. According to the college's practice bulletin, patients undergoing vaginal, abdominal, laparoscopic, or robotic hysterectomy, including supracervical hysterectomy, again, you don't even have to enter into the vaginal area, but because there's entrance into the uterine cavity, which can communicate to the vaginal area, even supracervical hist is included in this statement. Well, according to the college, all of those different routes of surgery and those patients should receive single-dose antimicrobial prophylaxis. The single-dose antibiotic usually given is cefazolin or ANSEF, and that's the currently recommended prophylactic antibiotic of choice for hysterectomy. All right, well, let's talk about topical agents for PrEP, both skin PrEP and vaginal PrEP. Vaginal cleansing with either 4% chlorhexidine gluconate or povidone iodine should be performed before hysterectomy or vaginal surgery, according to the college. Now, currently, only povidone iodine preps are approved by the U.S. FDA for vaginal site antisepsis, but you can use chlorhexidine vaginally, and we'll get to that in just a minute. The CDC has recommended alcohol-based preps, which typically include chlorhexidine, for external periop skin prep based on studies that suggest superiority over aqueous povidine iodine solutions. So remember, for the skin, the CDC recommends using typically a 4% chlorhexidine solution over aqueous povidone iodine. Now, here's the question. Can you use this for vaginal use? Well, in the U.S., 4% chlorhexidine gluconate is often used off-label to prepare the vagina in women with iodine allergy, and some U.S. hospitals prefer it for routine cases. To avoid irritation, chlorhexidine gluconate with high concentrations of alcohol, like some that have 70%, is contraindicated for surgical prep of the vagina. However, and here's a clinical pearl, solutions that contain lower concentrations, like that commonly found in 4% chlorhexidine gluconate soap that has 4% alcohol, are generally very well tolerated and may be used for vaginal surgical prep as an alternative to those women who have iodine allergies or if it's just preferred by the surgeon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, let's get back to BV screening because that's the topic here. Well, what does ACOG say? I mean, should we be screening for BV before these gynecological or even some OB procedures? Well, you got to love ACOG because they always leave just enough wording where they don't actually say something, but leave it up to you to decide. ACOG states, quote, given the low risk of BV screening and its treatment, screening for bacterial vaginosis during the pre-op visit and initiation of therapy with flagell or one of the other CDC recommended treatments, quote, can be considered, end quote. So it doesn't mandate it, but it says it can be considered. 
Now, if the therapy of duration goes for seven days and it encroaches on the scheduled surgery time, then ACOG says that it's reasonable to continue the therapy perioperatively for at least four days thereafter. However, the critics of this guideline state that a single dose of ANSEF that's recommended by the college does not adequately cover vaginal facultative anaerobes. That fact has led to some calling for universal screening for BV before these gynecological and again, maybe even some obstetric procedures. But that's not universally accepted despite those calls for increased BV surveillance. Not all agree. Weinstein recently published a letter to the editor that's released ahead of print in AJOG in response to that SOPR report that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Now, Weinstein actually raises some very good points. We're going to cover that here because I tend to agree with him, but I'll give you my final opinion and my personal perspective at the end. There is a big problem that we have to address and clarify, which Soper uses as the basis of his argument for routine BV screening and or universal treatment of BV with these procedures. That recommendation actually centers on the results of a single Swedish randomized trial that was performed two decades ago. And for a number of reasons, the results of that trial are actually not applicable to current practice. First, and most importantly, routine surgical antimicrobial prophylaxis was not used in that trial that Soper references. So let's put that out there right now. You heard it right. They didn't give routine antimicrobial surgical prophylaxis. So that's kind of messed up. So that rate of vaginal cuff infection was about 10%. Now, in contrast, single-dose antimicrobial prophylaxis, like the college recommends, given within one hour before hysterectomy, is associated with a reduction in post-op infectious morbidity and is the current standard of practice in the U.S., In the modern era of routine surgical antimicrobial prophylaxis, the rate of deep end organ space is actually at 1% or less. So that's good news for us. Now, the impact of the addition of a second antibiotic as part of surgical prophylaxis to further reduce an infection rate that's already below 1% is actually unknown. So that's a good point. Now, secondly, in that study that Soper talked about and quoted as the basis for his universal call to action for BV treatment before these procedures, metronidazole was administered rectally prior to and for a minimum of four days after hysterectomy in that Swedish study. So let's clear this up right here. We don't use rectal flagell. That's not a recommendation by the CDC uh, or pretty much anybody else uh, for bacterial vaginosis. So that's kind of awkward. Also, the length of stay in that Swedish study was about five to six days. Remember, this is two decades ago. We just don't do that anymore. The length of post-op stay is definitely associated with SSIs. That's why it's important to get your patient up and ambulatory and out of the hospital as quickly and as safely as they can. Now, because there's been this dramatic shift in the route of hysterectomy in the U.S., with most now being performed by a minimally invasive technique, then, of course, deep SSIs would still happen, but they are extremely rare, and the length of stay has been cut down drastically. Again, that's another protective effect against surgical site infection. So, as you can pretty much conclude, the rebuttal from this author states that, currently, quote, routine screening for BV prior to hysterectomy is just not warranted.
Man, isn't that just life? Isn't that just typical of medicine, right? Yeah, screen everybody for BV and treat them. No, don't screen everybody for BV. It's a waste of time. Isn't that just great? That leaves a typical provider somewhere in the middle. But that's what medicine is, right? I mean, we need a lot of data, and sometimes the data agrees globally and holistically, and sometimes it doesn't. So here's my personal perspective on this. The truth is, getting a surgical site infection does raise a lot of morbidity. It raises cost. It stresses out the patient and, of course, the provider. So I believe that screening for BV is not necessary. However, I do like the idea of giving just a one-time dose in addition to standard surgical prophylaxis, in addition to the standard doses of Vaseline. I like giving either a 1 gram or 500 milligrams of flagell perioperatively. Now, there is data for that, and it's not overwhelming data, but there is data, so at least it takes into account that anaerobic milieu of the vagina and tends to lower its count at time of surgical interaction. Once again, you can choose what you like to do, but I thought this would be an interesting discussion and podcast, especially if they ask those on oral boards who are getting ready for that stage of their life. So if you don't screen for BV, that's okay. And if you do screen for BV, that's okay too. The truth is, as was stated by the college, it probably is a very low risk intervention to screen and or just treat with a one-time dose of metronidazole or flagell as long as the patient doesn't have an antibiotic allergy. And if they do, then I'd give them clindamycin. That's just my personal perspective. I'd rather treat up front than take care of them later when it's now an established problem. Well, thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.